Pastor Ken is up at Barakal this week, and uh, he's asked me to uh, fill in for him, so it's a privilege to do that. But as we do, we want to uh, pray for him and uh, pray for what's happening in our world right now. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together and to worship. We're so thankful that we live in a free land, that we do not have missiles raining down on us, that we have uh, life and hope and liberty. We thank you for Pastor Ken and the opportunity you've opened to him at Barakal. We pray that as he is speaking this morning that you would open hearts to your word, that you'd give him freedom and clarity and power and boldness to speak words that transform lives and then bring him safely back home to us. And then, Father, for the, the war in Ukraine, that is so troubling to us. Father, you have said that you work righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And I pray that you would work righteousness and justice for the people of Ukraine, that you would frustrate the plans of those who desire to do evil, and that you would accomplish your good purposes, protect that country, protect their people, protect us, and give our leaders great wisdom and insight and understanding in knowing how to respond. I pray for our president and the weight of responsibility that weighs on him. Give him wisdom, God. Direct his heart in the way that he should go and help him to lead us with integrity and righteousness and goodness. And now, Father, direct our hearts to your truth. Open it to us by your Spirit and grant us your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great privileges that I've had in ministry is getting to know other pastors and becoming good friends with many of them. Doug Fightwork especially, some of you know Doug, has been a friend for as long as I've been in Michigan. We met when uh, we came back here in 1989 to begin ministry here, and we've been friends throughout that time and confidants, and we get together regularly and talk regularly. Um, as we approached retirement, and that was now 10 years ago this year, that uh, we retired from Bethel, and Doug is retired more recently, but Doug shared with me, as, as we're talking about this in retirement, what that meant, he shared with me a startling statistic. He said that only 10% of pastors who started out from seminary as pastors made it to retirement. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. And I started thinking back about guys that I started with, some went into significant ministries outside the church. Um, some just recognized that really wasn't their call, but they used their gifts and their abilities and their training in the churches to, um, to further serve Christ. Some experienced moral failures and, and dropped out altogether, and they blew up their lives and their ministries. But many, many simply found that the stresses and pressures of ministry were overwhelming. The struggles of balancing ministry demands and congregational expectations and disgruntled and often angry parishioners. Of course, that wouldn't happen here. Balancing that with family and their own dreams, it became too much, and they said, I've got to do something else with my life. I uh, came to paraphrase a, a little... Uh, 
phrase from one of the booklets presented by uh, Campus Crusade, The Four Spiritual Laws. And I uh, often shared that with Pastor Doug. I said, uh, your congregation loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's true. There are expectations that weigh. And by God's grace, Doug and I both made it to retirement. And, and we rejoiced at that. But there were two seasons in my ministry when I wasn't sure that I was going to make it. Finishing well did not seem assured, and circumstances and discouragement brought me close to despair, and I lived there for a period of time in both places. Each took place in a different church. Each was occasioned by significant opposition and disagreement with ministry performance and decisions. And in each case, I wondered, if, if, am I going to make it through this? Am I going to be dismissed? Am I going to have to find something else to do? And if so, what? God was good in both cases, and with the unflinching support of godly leaders in both churches, we made it through those hard times, and my worst fears weren't realized. And in the journey through those struggles, I found myself pressed up in, against God, and, and curiously, on both of those occasions, on both of those occasions, God took me into one passage of Scripture, and He kept my nose in it, sometimes for months on end, and in one case in particular, this was the only scripture I read for probably six months or more. The only place that I could go. And David's lament gave me words to express my own heart's cry to God. Psalm 25 is a personal lament. It's composed by David. We don't have any clues to his circumstances except what's written in the psalm itself. David pours out his pain over attacks by violent opponents who bitterly hates him, who hate him, and he fears for his life. And listen to Psalm 25 as, as I read it to you. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. And some of you remember the chorus that we used to sing, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. It's a light and lilting song. It's written out of pain. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should chew. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is with, for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. 
The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. David's psalm is one of passionate lament. Um, that's the style in which he, writ, he wrote. It's, it's well-crafted, but it's not linear. His thoughts just kind of tumble out on top of each other, and you, you don't go from point to point to point to point. And for that reason, it's kind of hard to organize this psalm in a, in a linear way. It doesn't submit to organization. Every commentary that I read outlined the psalm differently. So we're not going to try and do that this morning. What we want to do this morning is trace two broad themes throughout the psalm. And then within those themes, we're going to see two sub-themes that, that amplify that main theme. The first theme identifies the source of David's pain, the, the reason he wrote the lament. He has enemies who are out to get him, people who didn't like his leadership, who wanted to undermine his rule. That was the immediate circumstance that prompted David to write. And by the way, not many of us are kings. <laughs> With people out to subvert our rule and authority, right? You may face personal antagonism and opposition from significant people in your life that's causing you distress. It's more likely that you're facing some health crisis or financial setback or some circumstance in your world, but you can say with David, I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. That fits. So your circumstances may be different, but your lament may be the same. David modeled something for us here. His example, how he, modeled, how he managed his soul in crisis, how he nurtured his soul in God, can be a deep encouragement. Paul wrote of such experiences among saints in the Old Testament that these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So what David writes is a model for us of what to do in tough circumstances, how to respond. So David pours out this lament over his pain, and then along with that, there's a second broad theme that we're going to trace, and that is, what did David do about it? In the midst of his severe circumstances, what did he do? And within that first theme, you have the attacks of the enemy. You also have a stirring up of David's memories of his own sin before God. These twin currents that flow through this main stream, there is a, a second theme that reaffirms then God's goodness and God's grace. And we want to talk about that as the, the second part of this. We're going to begin with David's circumstances, the source of his lament. He has adversaries who are out to get him. They might have been attacking armies. 
out for the destruction of Israel. David fought running battles throughout his life against the Philistines, the Syrians, the Moabites, the Edomites, and others throughout his 40-year reign. This isn't only an educated guess, but I'm guessing that the attacks were not external but internal. In his lifetime, David had to deal with palace intrigue, ambitious enemies within the political landscape of Jerusalem. In Psalm 41, David describes an illness that some saw as an opportunity, and he says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, we used to have lunch together, we had meals together, he's looked at his heel against me. David even endured the rebellion of his own son Absalom, and Absalom was determined to depose and kill his father. David fled from Israel. This attempted coup resulted in a civil war in Israel in which many, many people died. And it ended only after the death of Absalom. David says of these enemies only that they desired to exult over him. They were wantonly treacherous. They had violent hatred toward him. Political animosities haven't changed much in 3,000 years, have they? We look at our own political landscape and we see the intense animosities that are in our own political structure. So it's not too hard to imagine the anxieties David may have encountered concerning those who sought his leadership to fail and for him to be deposed. But what I found curious in this psalm was how this opposition to his leadership caused David to look inside his own heart 